0: Jewish Audio on Kaban.org Rambam Hilches Maiser Sheini V'netere The Laws of the Second Tithe and the Produce of the Fourth Year Perek Shlishi Chapter 3 Aleph 1 Ha'echel Maiser Sheini Betuma As I explained in the earlier chapter in my introduction many people don't realize due to the fact that Meisr Shani could be eaten by its owner and his guests in Jerusalem, it seems lackadaisical. It seems like it's no big deal. Meisr Shani is sacred food, and it has many, many laws governing it, and it's very serious stuff, even though you can just go to Jerusalem, sit in your hotel, invite your friends, and eat it. It still has many, many regulations and limitations, and is connected to tremendous sacredness and sanctity. So he goes on to say that if somebody consumes my Sheni, the second tithe, in a state of impurity, like uh, in, under certain conditions, there could be lashes applied. Of course, that would be through witnesses warning and seeing him. And him, him wantonly violating Shenemah, as it says, one of the statements that the Jew, the farmer, makes in his declaration, which we will learn about, that he fulfilled all the laws, he says, Le biarti bitome. He says, I did not consume it in a state of impurity, which suggests that it is forbidden to consume in a state of impurity. Now, what does it mean to consume... Meiser Shani, the second tithe in a state of impurity. Who's impure? The person or what's impure? The miser? What is what are we talking about? So he says we're talking about both. Bain Shah meiser Tomei. whether the tithe is impure, the and the consumer, the eater is in a state of ritual purity, or the tithe is in a state of ritual purity, and the one who eats it is impure. In either scenario, serious violation. Now, in order to technically really experience a full-strength violation, it must be consumed in Jerusalem before redemption. Remember, we learned an interesting law about sheni that we can redeem it. We can take uh, the produce, redeem it for money. The sanctity departs from the produce and g- enters the money. So, obviously, if it's been redeemed, it's a whole different experience. But it has to be not redeemed produce, and it must be in Jerusalem. Because lashes cannot be experienced ever in a situation where one consumes the second tithe in a state of impurity, only when it is done technically in a place where it can be eaten. Where can my Sasheni be eaten? Only in Jerusalem. So the violation in its full strength can only take place in Jerusalem. What happens if he eats the second tithe in a state of impurity outside Jerusalem? Avel, however, in chutz Yerushalayim, Machanese Machus and the only lashes which could possibly apply is the rabbinic lashes, which is called rebellious lashes because it's a rabbinic ordinance, because the Torah violation would only be eating it in a state of impurity in Jerusalem. Nevertheless, it's forbidden to eat in a state of impurity anywhere. Furthermore, even to use it to use this produce, for example, this olive oil, to kindle a lamp. It is forbidden also it is forbidden until it's redeemed. I did not consume it in a state of impurity. Once you redeem it, you can use the impure olive oil to light a lamp. Why not? Because it's been redeemed and the sanctity was exchanged for the money. Gimel Kvarbiyanu we explain shamaisa that the second tithe which became impure a even if it became impure while in Jerusalem. Paid in. you can still redeem it, it's not too late to be redeemed, the and it may be eaten. Why? Because the sanctity carries over to the money, the and one then eats as dumb of that which he will purchase with this money, betara in a state of purity, betatas paidis maser as produce of master, That's the magic, I don't want to use the word magic, that's the amazing aspect of this, is that the redemption process takes the sanctity and keeps moving it. Kameshi boyer, as we will explain in great detail. Furthermore, even if a whole batch of produce became exposed to impurity, became impure, even before the tithe was removed, so you have a whole wagon full, a whole batch of impure produce, not a problem. Mapsh Maisersheni Bituma, the farmer, the owner, sets aside the tithe in a state of impurity, not a problem, Ufeideu redeems it, because the money does not become impure. And then with the money, he buys pure produce and consumes it as Maisersheni Produce. Okay, Dalid, what about an uncircumcised male? Katome is like a person who finds himself in a state of impurity because a Jewish male must be circumcised. And if he's not for any reason, he should not be eating ma'shashenim. And if he wantonly and intentionally ate sheni. In a state of being uncircumcised, there's a biblical application of lashes. Just as he would be susceptible to receiving lashes for eating something, which is the heave offering of the Kohen, in a state of being uncircumcised. Why? What does this have to do with Kohen's food? This is my because the Torah refers to Truma, the heave offering of the Kohen, using the adjective Kodesh holy. Oma um, Sasheni, in the second tithe, Kori, is called by the Torah Kodesh holy. So it's holy, holy. Sharenem Kadesh Kodesh sacred to God. the Okay, so that is why the same law applies to one who consumes my in a state of impurity. Now, there's an interesting law we're going to learn in these next few words. A little bit of an introduction. We learned earlier in the laws of tithing that if... I'm sorry. We learned earlier in the laws of truma, of the heave offering of the Kohen, that if the Kohen becomes impure, what does the Kohen do? The Kohen immerses in a mikveh, waits till the sun sets, and then he can eat. The famous first Mishnah of the whole Mishnah. When do we begin reading the Shema at night? From the time the Kohen can start eating Truma, meaning when it's dark. So the Kohen has to immerse in the mikvah in the daytime, wait till it's dark, and then he can eat Truma. Now let's look inside at the end of for here, however, someone who is in a state of impurity in the Ma'sr Shani experience, he goes to the Mikvah, does he have to wait until stars out, until nighttime like the Kohen? No. He can eat the second tithe, even though the sun did not set. So it's even more lenient than the Kohen and the Truma. Hey, If somebody eats the second tithe in a state of bereavement, somebody very close to him just died, one should not be eating joyous things in a state of bereavement, because it's the opposite message. If he intentionally does it, he's warned and he still does it, he can receive lashes. But... Part of the declaration the farmer makes is, as we will learn, I did not eat of it in in the state of bereavement. The word is oni, aninut. What is this bereavement business? We're going to talk about it. We're going to define it. But in simple terms, it's the first day of the passing of a close relative. There's the Shiva, which is all week, but the first day is called Onain. The only time this lashes could take place with a state of bereavement is if he eats it in that state in Jerusalem. But if he ate it outside Jerusalem in that state of bereavement. Or, he ate it, he consumed it in Jerusalem. But it was only the rabbinic state of mourning, <coughs> the rest of the Shiva. <coughs> it's only a rabbinic transgression, there can only be rabbinic lashes. definition, what is the meaning of bereavement? The word is, That is one who is in a state of severe mourning for a close relative which the torah obligates one to mourn for and when is this ubey only the day of death so that if this close relative passes away on tuesday it's tuesday that he's in a state of bereavement hu einen that's when the torah prescription of anina supplies ovalaila already tuesday night the biblical bereavement period is over. Einen Medivrayim is a rabbinic mandate bereavement. Shenem, as it says, in the case of Aaron, who lost his two sons, and Moshe was criticizing him for not having eaten of the holy. He says, Had I eaten of this sin offering today, Would it have pleased God? He's talking about today. Ayayim. So that in Aaron's language, it was all about the first day. And the day, after is forbidden, of and at night, Mutter is already permitted biblically. Even if the corpse was not buried immediately, but days or even many days passed by due to whatever reason. So a person passes away on Monday, is not buried till Thursday, for whatever reason. And then he's buried. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it doesn't qualify for that biblical state of bereavement. It's a rabbinic state of bereavement. Then Lele. Furthermore, the day of burial. For example, a person passes away and is buried, it does not include the night that follows it for the purpose of this state of aninu, zayin my Ma'sashayna babadis does not only apply to the second tithe. And the prohibition of eating it in a state of biblical bereavement, all holy matters, if he ate them with the state of bereavement of Torah law, which means the first day, if he does it wantonly and intentionally with witnesses warning him, so he he could get lashes technically. The maximum that he can receive if he violates the rabbinic state of mourning would be rabbinically mandated rebellious lashes. I made a bracha earlier, I'm just going to have a sip of tea here. Now, moving right along, segueing to the next law, Meister Shanes, the second tithe produce, has such great sanctity that a nest in Pedus Meister Sheni La Moritz, one should not give second tithe produce to someone who's unlearned because he won't understand the severity of the laws. The same applies for produce purchased with redemption money of the tithe, or the money, the redemption money, because an unlearned person, and we learned about this distinction, there's a chover, a scholar, and then there's the flip side of the chover, who's the regular guy, the unlearned person who's not necessarily familiar with the details of the mandates of Torah. Because we should always assume that an unlearned person is in a perpetual state of impurity. Because he doesn't know how to maintain a state of purity to allow him to eat holy. Now we don't have that state of purity nowadays. But that was the state of purity that one needed to maintain in order to enter into the holy temple. Eating of the second tithe or even dealing with the exchange or the money of the second tithe... Required that state of purity. However, we learned earlier extensively that our sages ordained a just-in-case tithing process called demai, which is a rabbinic double tithing, because we're not sure whether the first owner tithed or not. In that case, this rabbinic application is, has much more liberal laws. It's okay then to give this to an unlearned person. This miser of the mind, I'm sorry, it's permissible to eat it in the state of bereavement. The rabbinic line, miser, to give it to an unlearned person. However, there's a stipulation. The stipulation is that what let's say he consumes ten dollars, he consumed. Let's say he consumes $10 worth in a state of bereavement. Or let's say he gives $10 worth to an unlearned man. He has to take $10 worth of regular produce, which is sacred, which is pure, and eat it as my sarsheni. So he does a de facto exchange. That's called yeichal kenegda, he must eat in place of what he just Consumed in bereavement or gave to an unlearned person, furthermore, the laws are so severe that ain i 'm sorry mafkidin we should not store second tithe produce even with a learned person, I guess unless there 's a big sign that says this is my shem o yomus perhaps the learned person will die. And then his son is going to go through his possessions and they're going to say, look what I found, kumquats. So therefore we're concerned that the son will eat it. Serious violation. But the second tier, the uncertain rabbinic application, that's okay to put into the hands of an unlearned person another interesting law which shows the severity of the second tithe it is forbidden to lose volume of second tithe even on the road you know a lot of things can happen on the road shrinkage uh, it gets smaller this falls, that's one has to transport it in its entirety. I guess you got to use a Ziploc baggie. Or, better yet, take the money to Jerusalem. Badrachim, but you are permitted to have a, mi- a, a minute decrease on the road, because that's life. And how much is that? And that would be less than the volume of a dried fig. Whether this is eaten whole or sliced... Avogagus, but the size volume of a dried fig ain't mabnaese it's too much to lose from the volume of mysoreine, which is by the way why our sages why the Torah rather instituted the whole idea of exchanging for money, because the Torah knows that produce rots and decays and shrinks and all kinds of stuff becomes uh, wormy and so on. What if somebody separates a portion of Maish less than a fig size? He can give it to an unlearned person. And again, he has to make up by eating from other produce towards it because it becomes exchanged with other produce. But he shouldn't set it aside to begin with so that it gets lost or gets destroyed. But we never set aside to begin with something to become lost or destroyed. Ten in general. What do we do with my Sasheni? All right, we know we take it to Jerusalem and we invite our friends and have a good time in our hotel. My father, a blessed memory, used to often say, that what is the definition, what's one word which defines the Meisr Shani experience? So my father, a blessed memory, used to often say, Meisr Shani is a fabrengen. You go to the store in Jerusalem, you take your Meisr Shani money, and you buy stuff you can drink. We're not going to spell it out, because there may be people under 18 who are uh, studying with us. You buy alachayim. Uh, you buy cake, you buy produce, as we say in the old Russian language, and you have a fabreng, and you call your friends, and you talk about spiritual things. That's my susheni. that's one of the intentions. My father would repeat constantly, of my susheni. God Almighty, God Almighty, wanted people to take time in Jerusalem to gather their friends and family together and talk spirituality and say l'chaim. But it costs money to buy a l'chaim. It costs money to buy the chaser, as we call it in America. The, the fabison, the, the herring, <laughs> the cake, the fruits. All right, so you have money. You have a budget here. So what can we buy with the money and what can we not buy with the money? Can we buy cigars? Cuban? Not that there's anything wrong with that. So he says, The uh, the second tithe could be used for edibles and liquids that can be drunk, that one can drink. As it says, You shall eat before God your God. So eating and drinking. Now there's another aspect, and that is anointing oneself with oil. You have olive oil. It's very, very good for the skin. Olive oil could be used for an anointing process as well. It's like drinking in general in halacha. We learned that in the Yom Kippur laws. But that's it. Eating, drinking, and anointing. You can't use it for anything else. For example, can I buy furniture? Can I buy tools and Sears? I'm not sure if they have seers in Jerusalem. Can I buy garments? Can I purchase servants during the time that servants could be purchased? The answer is no, no, and no. Part of the declaration of my Sashani is, I did not utilize it for a dead man. Simply speaking, it means I didn't buy shrouds with it. I didn't use it for funeral expenses. But there's a deeper meaning, I didn't use it for anything that is dead, meaning for something that does not sustain life, and that is eating, drinking, and anointing. If he spent it for anything else, even by doing a good deed, for example, there was someone who died laying on the streets, nobody was there to bury him, Nobody had money, so he took the meiser sheini money and he buried the guy. Wonderful! <clears throat> but it's a problem. You took meiser sheini money. Then after the fact, he must eat of other produce to replace it. That's the after the fact way of correcting the problem. Now he says it's not so simple to eat it or to drink it or to anoint it. It has to be that which is edible should be eaten, that which is drinkable should be drunk, and that which is anointable should be used for anointing. So that if somebody is anointing himself with a tomato, this could be a problem. Or somebody is eating olive oil, this could be a problem. Maser, Eichel or Eichel he eats that which is usually eaten, which is food. He drinks that which is usually drunk. Which is liquids. One of the liquids of Meisr Technically wine, but any liquid I guess you buy with the money. An anointing should be only with an anointable agent. Therefore, he gives examples of what should not be done. He should not smear an anoint himself, with wine and vinegar. But he can with oil. Furthermore, and I'm not sure that the juice industry in America is going to appreciate this, so my apologies to Tropicana. He should not squeeze any fruits to bring out juice The exception is olives for olive oil, grapes for grape juice and wine. So they're not big fans of orange juice, I guess. Furthermore, we do not spice oil, because oil is not usually spiced. (coughs) But it's okay to put spices into wine if that was the culture. Now we know that Meisr Sheini is holy food. And we can't just lose it, let it rot, throw it away. Does that mean that if it went bad, that we have to eat it anyway? If it became toxic, if it became sour, if it became bad? No. Once it becomes unfit for human consumption, its holiness has departed from it as well. Yud Beis 12, The litmus test is, anything that in the case of truma, we learned earlier, may be eaten by a non-Kohen, because of what happened to this produce, The same goes for everybody in the case of the second tithe. And we learned many details of those laws in the Truma Laws. We also learned this earlier. You have the wine sediments, the junk at the bottom of the bottle of wine. If you put water on it, it could become wine again. You let it soak in. These days, you don't have that much of that sediment, but back then, they used to have a lot more, and you soak water in it for a couple days, and voila, you have wine. Rishen, the first time you do that, oser, it is forbidden, kemaiser, because the wine sediments created a second batch of wine, visheni, but the second time around, in the case of maiser, Mutter, it is permissible, kechulen, like everyday food. What if it's the rabbinic maiser? After the Rishon Mutter, even the first time around with the sediments, it is permissible. Again, the rabbinic Demei Meister is always much more lenient. Now, what about when a mixture occurs? Yayin Shamasr? What if wine of the second tithe, Shanopal fell, Latech for example, into honey? Which is not my sir, or spices, which is not miser, vihijbihoy, and that experience improved the wine. Now the question is what percentage of that is miser, and what percentage of that is non miser? Because it was regular produce. What was regular produce? The honey, the spices. The improvement has to be by the ratio of numbers. So, you do it accordingly. A fish was cooked with leek from the second tithe, and it, it improved the flavor of the fish, so again, it's proportional. You take the ratio of leek and fish. And the ratio of what was sashani, what was not sashani, and that is how you decide what was sashani and what was not sashani. Again, there's an interesting component within maishashenim, and that is it has a certain flexibility to it. In, out, and so on. you redeem, redeemed, you're unredeemed. So that flexibility, I guess, is helpful. What if a dough was made with flour from the second tithe? It was baked. And the baking process improved it, and the wood, the heating component was ordinary wood, so you had ordinary non-meister wood, improve this dough. So the question is, can we take credit for the wood? And that should be proportionally non-meister sheni. He says, no. Hashevach the improvement must go all to the second tithe. And he calls here the second tithe, the second. This is the rule. If you recognize the improvement, if the produce is increased, then it's proportional. But in the case of the dough, for example, (coughs) where the, the volume is not increased, it goes from a state of raw to a state of baked. Hashavach l'sheni bivad. The increase only goes to the second tithe. shifcheni amida. l'sheni bivad. Furthermore, wherever the improvement is not obvious, the improvement also goes to the second tithe, even though it is, I guess, more volume. An example of what is recognizable is when you've taken wine and placed spice in it. Suddenly, it's a spicy wine. So it's immediately recognizable. Tess vav fifteen What is the example of improvement according to proportion? Yain What if wine of my was worth three zoos? it fell into honey or spices worth one zoos. So, obviously, the volume increased. And it also improved it. So now, the original value was 3 plus 1. 4 zoos. But now, because of this experience, it's now worth 5 zoos. It improved by 20%. It's now 1 zoos more. It's 5 zoos. So you have a 1% improvement. Remember, what was it? Three parts Maishr one part non-Maishr Three plus one, in this case, equals five. So your profit is one. How do you divide the profit from Maishr to non-Maishr Shani? hakel ba'abu So you do it by four and a quarter. Because a quarter is the prophet. It's all proportional. So also with the other components. So in the simple terms, if you have three plus one, that's four. So you have the three quarters and it works by the quarter. The second tie. There's a lot of discussion with the case of Mishnah and so on brought down in the notes. The second tithe, even though it was used for anointing, nevertheless, it should not be placed on a foot infection, it should not be placed on boils, nor should it be used as an amulet, because although we said anointing is okay, but my sarsheni is not a medicinal application. Anointing means anointing. It doesn't mean to treat infections. It's not made for medical purposes. Yud zayin, Moman sarsheni, momen gabayahu. The fact is, says the Rambam in chapter 3, halacha 17, my is considered the property of God. It's God's property. as it says, La It's to Hashem. Therefore, ain't a niktam You can't gift my Sheni to somebody because you can't gift God's food. What you can do is give the raw produce to the guy, and then he has to set aside the tithe. But it's not yours to give. Now, it is yours to invite people to fabreng, yes. Therefore, you can't use it for, to affect a marriage. A marriage can be affected by giving a ring. A man gives a ring to a woman. Or the value of that. You can't use maishashenia because, it's, again, it's God's money. It can't be sold. You shouldn't use it for collateral security. or security. It should not be exchanged. It shouldn't be used as surety. Ketzat, for example, 18, what does it mean that we should not use it as security? He should not go into the home of someone who owes him money, which he's permitted to do with the blessings of the court. The court says that if somebody, if I lend money to somebody and I'm trying to collect the money again and again and again and no go, I go to the court, and the court comes with me. We go to the guy's house. We find an expensive Apple computer. We take the computer as security until he repays. The Maishr Sheini, you cannot take. What if he took it? You forcibly remove it from his hands. He can't take it. So what do we mean? surety? You shouldn't tell him. Hold on to my Maishr Sheini. And lend me money and use it as security, all the because that's not what Mysochenney is for. It's not even yours. Kate and I said, "What do we mean we can't barter or exchange it?" You shouldn't tell him, "Hey,, here's wine of meister but and and give me oil. I have too much wine, you have too much oil. Let's uh, do an exchange. That's doing business. You don't do business with Shani. You don't do exchanges. But he can tell him, Here's wine, and I have no oil. The other guy can say, here's oil. Maybe because he didn't make an exchange. He let him know that he doesn't have. And if he wants to give him, he can give him. Uh, although we learned earlier that we shouldn't even give gifts, but in this case, the sages permit this is not exactly a gift, it's a form of a gift. Furthermore, you test my Sashenia and Shaikland really resolve. The way produce works, it all works by weight. Even these days, you go into a supermarket, they weigh the produce. So, you can't use it to balance the scale. Even to weigh gold dinrim, even for exchanging other maeser sheini, we're concerned that the weight will not be exact, and there's going to be lacking, and he's weighing money to cause the exchange of another maeser, so he's cheating the maeser, you're not allowed to do that, it's very serious stuff, So you should not rely on the weight of the produce for anything else other than to determine the weight of this produce. What if there was an estate? Two brothers were dividing their inheritance amongst the items were Miseshani. And Sheikh Zekenegaz, they should not weigh one against the other, because we don't necessarily rely on the weight so also monies of and shekel connect them see, back then they used to weigh money because the value of the money depended upon the silver content or the gold content and silver content and gold content can get lost can, can age, can rub off we don't sell them we don't exchange them you don't use this security furthermore money Let's say this guy finds in his estate, in his father's estate, he finds a whole big massive pile of silver and gold coins, which his father put away from Iser Shani. She says, okay, next time I'm going to go to Jerusalem, or the brothers say we'll take it and we'll divide it and we'll go to Jerusalem. In the meantime, meanwhile, one of the brothers or a very dear friend is a banker. Now, back then, how did bankers impress their customers? That they're a good bank, they used to have large volumes of coinage of currency on their desks. So the banker says, let me use this money just so it should sit on my desk, just to impress the customers. That's what he says. (laughs) Layitneim l'shulchani, you can't let a banker use them, a money changer. Just to look good. He should not even make a loan to somebody just so the reputation, the word go out, that he's a rich man. Why does he want to be a rich man? Because he wants to have people do business with him. However, the way it was back then is if people put away money for too long, the money would decay. You have to keep using the money. So if he did that for the sake of the money, that's okay vein paid you don't repay debts. You don't give wedding gifts with it. Back then, and there's a whole section we're going to learn about this in the Rambam, wedding gifts were a serious exchange obligation. I went to your wedding and I gave you a hundred dollars. You're coming to my wedding, you better give me a hundred dollars. It's like a whole exchange obligation of exchange. We also don't use it to repay favors. You don't use it to pay your pledge in the shul, or let's say the synagogue sends out a taxation because they're putting a new roof on. You can't use money to pay for it. However, when there's an urgent charity and there are no other funds, you can say... Uh, here, take this My money, but you have to let the guy know that it is my money because he has to use it with the My requirements. Chav 22, a person should not say to his friend, to another person, Listen, my friend, you take this truckload of produce from me, wagonload of produce from me to Jerusalem, but tell me, you know what, I'll give you 20% transportation costs. By taking 20% of the Mysosheni as a transportation fee, he's using it for transportation. Not let him do that. But he could tell him, how lame, you bring up this wagon load to Jerusalem, you and I will have a fabrengon. And you're going to share this food with me. That's that, that's fine. A person can tell a friend of his in Jerusalem, to anoint him with the oil of Maishashen, you can't anoint your own back. You need someone to anoint your back. Even though the friend's hands are becoming anointed with oil, so it's like you're paying him. No. Don't worry about that. We already explained, that the tithe, the second tithe belongs to God. And therefore we say, Usually, the halacha is, under ordinary circumstances, when somebody steals a hundred dollars from somebody else and he's caught, he has to repay two hundred. Okay, double. But if he steals it from the Holy Temple, he doesn't have to repay double, because the Holy Temple is not a private entity. Mysershane is also not a private entity. Bah Gezle, if somebody robs What's the difference between stealing and robbing in halacha? Stealing is underhanded surreptitiously in the middle of the night. Robbing is with a gun. Robbing is in daylight brazenly. And then he swears falsely. There's a penalty of a fifth. So again, the penalty does not have to be paid because it's not private money, it's God's money. So just the principle must be repaid. 25. The closing paragraph of chapter 3, just to complicate things, What if somebody has second tithe money or produce waiting for him to go to Jerusalem? In the, in the interim, he decides to, to devote it, to sanctify it and give it to the temple fund. Why did he do that? Because because something good happened to him, something bad happened to him, whatever. He wanted to donate, devote something to the Holy Temple Fund, and that's what he had. Now the tradition is, we learned this extensively, that either he or someone else redeems it with money so he redeems it. However, Misha Pede or the when it's redeemed, it must be with the clear intent of making sure that the Holy Temple gets what it gets. But the Maysershani also has to get what it gets. So why is the guy doing it? He's making a donation. People used to be into redeeming these devoted gifts. So you could use it as a Gift to the Holy Temple Fund, but it must be redeemed and restored as Miser Shaney. End of chapter 3.